good morning. There's one, one, there's two words that kept being repeated over and over and over again in that scripture reading, and what were they? By faith, right. So uh, this morning we're going to look at that and try to understand through the lives of these three people who are uh, Old Testament characters, very Old Testament characters, right from the very beginning of Genesis, um, and we're going to try to just allow God to increase our faith and help us to understand that through their example, we also can be changed and we can continue to grow in our walk with God. Now, one of my favorite verses is from Proverbs chapter 3. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, acknowledge God and heal what? Make your path straight, right? We all want to make it through. Like when Joshua was going through the obstacle course, we, we, were, we were silently rooting for him, you know, that he would make it through, that he would get to the, to the seat and, and, and get the Starbucks card. Uh, we, we all want to be able to make it through life, and life throws some obstacles at us, doesn't it? There are things that happen that are unexpected, things that we didn't see coming. We use that phrase like, oh, I didn't see that coming, you know, uh, things that just surprise us, things that get in the way. And in those situations, we need to turn to God in faith and continue to walk with him. You see, we have this weakness as human beings. And the weakness is, is that we tend to lean on our instincts, not just our sight, but our instincts, our own understanding, like trust in the Lord with all your heart. Sometimes we lean on our emotions, we lean on our attitudes, things that uh, we have heard, things that we have, have, have learned from other people that aren't necessarily biblical. We lean on our circumstances too much. This is our weakness. God wants us to lean on him and he will guide us, but often we lean on the, the things that we can perceive, the things that we can understand, the, the wisdom and knowledge of this world, and we end up not trusting in God and in his word the way that he designed us to. You know, God designed you to be in relationship with him. There is something about how you are made up, and as you come to Christ in faith, and believe you're given the Holy Spirit who then is the one who, who connects you to God, is the one who communicates to you and helps you to understand truth. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, he said, we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, I put the word live in there because depending on your translation, sometimes it says we live by faith and not by sight. In, in, the, uh, in the Greek, this word live or walk is, is kind of intertwined with one another. When they talk about like living out your life, they'll say walking out your life, you know. Um, and so we need to understand that it's not just a physical walk that we're talking about at all. It's the spiritual life, the dimensions of your life, the relationships that you're in, the situations that you find yourself in, the decisions you need to make, all of those things should be done by faith in Jesus Christ and by faith in God. So this chapter, chapter 11, is going to demonstrate for us through the lives of the Old Testament believers, because we're in the New Testament, we didn't have that recorded yet, in the lives of the Old Testament believers, the preacher of Hebrews wants us to appreciate how these people demonstrated faith. Because that faith pleases God. 
Now, we're not trying to please God to earn salvation because we know that we are all sinners and we couldn't do it on our own. We needed Jesus who did please God. But we're trying to please God as we walk out our salvation, as we live our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, as we're witnesses and and we give testimony to Christ in this world. That's why God has given us faith. We need to understand what it is. And last week we looked at verse 1 of chapter 11. This is what what we could kind of say that that, uh, as we put the definition together, it would help us with. Biblical faith is a hope, right? It's a type of hope, but not the world kind of hope, like a wishful thinking. It's a solid hope that is absolutely certain of what it believes and that it is true. And is absolutely certain of what it expects to come. That's faith. Certainty. Trust in God. And trusting in His Word. So the goal of this chapter in Hebrews is to highlight the living of life. Is to walk out our salvation and live out our lives as saved individuals. As people who know God and are known by God. And who walk in that relationship. That relationship leads to eternal life. We know that because Jesus has done that for us. Jesus walked a perfect life. Even Josh up here, he bumped into one of those cones. None of us, Scripture says, have been able to do that. But Jesus himself did it for us. And so that's why we praise him because he gives us that righteousness. He gives us that right walk with God. And then calls us to follow him in that. As we look at these, these trials and these situations and these difficulties, we realize that these people that the preacher of Hebrews is preaching to are struggling. They're struggling. They're struggling to keep the faith. They're struggling to stay on track with Jesus, following Jesus faithfully. They're thinking of going back to their Jewish roots. They're thinking of going back to the Mosaic law and becoming law keepers. And the preacher is saying, no, 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 walk by faith. Like these people of old, walk by faith. Even in this struggle, you need this kind of faith. What the preacher is actually saying is, I know what you're going through, and I know it's hard times. But I want you to know that believers have always turned to God by faith in their times of need. Believers. Not unbelievers, but believers turn to God when things get tough. Turn to God by faith so that they may be able to endure the challenges that present themselves in our everyday lives and in this world. Remember, Hebrews was preached to believers who were being tempted to turn back, being tempted to turn away from their faith. And so this chapter is is so important to the whole message that's being preached here. Like them, if you and I are going to endure the difficulties that our lives bring us, the situations we have to endure, what we need is faith. And we must live by faith. We must walk by faith into those situations and through those situations. So Hebrews chapter 11 should be very important to you and to me because we all run into troubles. We all run into trials and tribulations and situations that don't go the way we thought they were going to go. And we didn't see that coming. And in the midst of those situations, 
we hold fast to our faith in Jesus Christ. So in chapter 11, as we go through it this month and into the beginning of September, we're going to see over and over again demonstrated by these people and their lives and their actions, people who are walking by faith. Again, not perfectly, because only Jesus could do it perfectly, but they're walking by faith consistently in such a way that God is pleased with them. So the phrase is by faith, right? We hear it again and again and again. In fact, in just our passage this morning, just our, our few verses, it starts with the words by faith in verse 3, and it ends with the words by faith as the two final words of verse 7. So our passage is, is, is bookended with, that, with those words, by faith. By faith is used eight times in these five verses. So I think it's important. When something's repeated eight times, it's important, it's very important for us to grasp that this is the key to this whole chapter. So applying our description of faith from last week, the description that we, we found in verse 1, I just want to read one of these verses with that in place. So being, this is verse 3. So instead of by faith, I'm going to say, being absolutely certain of what we believe is true and absolutely certain of what we expect to come, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. I'm just going to stop there. I hope that you can follow along in your Bible because it's important for you to, to, to see the words in place. Um, I can't put them all on the screen. The screen's only so big. So please, if you haven't opened up your Bible, open to Hebrews chapter 11 and we're looking at verse 3. It is a fact that we please God by taking him at his word. Especially for things that we cannot see or understand. To walk by faith, we must always resist the attention-grabbing power of the visible, of the, what we call the concrete, the proof, the evidence. The preacher starts with something that's all around us, creation, right? Wherever you are in the world, you're, you're surrounded with creation, there's a sky, there's the, the earth you're on, there's the trees or, or the, the bushes or the grasslands around you. So the preacher brings us right to that point. The premier event in which God's unseen world was brought into existence. God brought everything that we see, everything that we feel, everything that we sense. He brought it out of his command. You know this, we know this as believers, because Genesis chapter 1 says again and again, in those verses, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be an expanse called the sky above and the water below. God said, let there be dry land. God said, let there be vegetation. God said, let there be sun and moon and stars and day and night. God said, let there be fish in the water. God said, let there be birds in the air. Let there be living creatures of all kinds along the earth, among the earth. And finally, God said, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. God took what was invisible and made it visible. 
God created everything and everyone that you see. Do you believe that? Now, did man come along afterwards and make a chair out of a tree? Yes, he did. You know why? Because we are actually made in the image of God and we like to create. So we create things out of things that already exist. But there's nobody that creates things out of things that don't exist except God. He brought everything into existence. And then we make lights and we make computers and we make things out of what already exists. But this is a foundational place for your faith to lie. And this is a place in the foundation of our faith that is attacked constantly by science, by people that doubt. But it's interesting. As I thought about that this week, God created everything and everyone that we see. And the, the preacher of Hebrews then has already told us in verse 1, if you remember all the way back in, in chapter 1 and verse 3, in chapter 1, he said that the Son of God, God's powerful word, Jesus, sustains it all, holds it all together. There's several places in Scripture. There's another place in Colossians that says the same thing, that he's holding it together. He created it, he fashioned it, and he's sustaining it. He's keeping it going. It is by faith that we understand that God created the universe by his word, by the words that he spoke. God spoke, and these things existed. Now, do we know how exactly all of that happened? No, we don't. We just know that scripture tells us God spoke, and it happened. God created matter out of nothing. And it's interesting, if you think about secular science for a moment, they also believe that matter just appeared one moment out of nothing. They call it something like the Big Bang, right? Once there was nothing, then there was a universe. They just won't give God any credit for that, right? One minute there was nothing and then all matter appeared. If they are honest, and they say that they don't know where it comes from, then, then by faith, we can put God in that slot. We can say, well, then God created it. God made it. Why do we believe this? Because that's what God's word says. That's what it says. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24, it says, this is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer... Who formed you in the womb, Charlie? This is what he says. I am the Lord. I am the Lord who has made all things. Who alone, that word alone is good. Who alone stretched out the heavens. Who spread out the earth myself. God takes credit for it. God has done it. Now what happens is we have to believe that. We have to put faith into action because we weren't there. None of you are that old. You weren't there when it happened. None of us were. So we have to put faith into action. But secular people also believe that matter just appeared. But here's the thing. It's either from God or it's from blank. Some people say it's from you know, Martians or aliens. Right? So they're, they're willing to, to let someone create because they know it all of a sudden was created. 
but they would much rather let it be a, you know, a little green man or something like that that made that happen. That takes more faith as far as I'm concerned. When pressed for an explanation, they really don't know. They just pick a theory. They say, well, here's the theory. Here's the idea. Here's maybe how it happened. I'm much more comfortable just depending on God's word, believing what it says. As believers, we live by faith when we trust God's word as true. Not when we pick God's word apart and we try to find fault with it and we try to... No, when we, when we accept it. When we act in the light of it, when we walk in the light of God's word, when we let it guide us and help us, we're acting by faith. So these Old Testament believers, we'll look at three of them in just a moment, they did just that. They believed God and they acted out their lives in reference to that. And God was pleased, it says. Just as Jesus lived his life out and pleased the Father. These men who were mere mortals like us also lived their lives in such a way that they pleased the Father. So let's read verse uh, 4. We'll talk about Abel for a moment. We're going to talk about Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And uh, I couldn't find a picture of them, so I just found three guys. Um, I figured they're up in heaven enjoying you know, their friendship and having a good time. Um, so by faith... It says, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain. Cain was his brother. We learned that from the book of Genesis. So he offered this better sacrifice than his brother. And by faith, he was commended as a righteous man in right relationship with God when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. So as we think about this for a moment, let's just think about the man, Abel. He was a shepherd. He had a brother, Cain, who was a farmer. These are the children of Adam and Eve. And it says simply in the scripture that God accepted his offering. And we're not told why. Or are we? A lot of theories are out there. People say, well, because his offering was a blood offering. But there was simply all kinds of offerings. And we find that later in the Mosaic Law. We find that there's a grain offering and a first fruits offering. And there's all types of vegetation offerings as well as animal offerings. So why wasn't Cain's accepted when he brought the, the fruit of his, his farm? Well... We're actually told right here in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith. It was not the offering. It was the faith of the individual who brought the offering. So separate it. We're not talking about vegetables and, and lamb chops. We're talking about two men. One who was living by faith in a relationship with his creator. And one who was not. One who was going through the motions. You know that can happen. There's people in churches all over the world. Some of them are living by faith in a real relationship with their real Savior. Others are going through the motions. They go to church because they were brought up going to church. They don't think about God any of the other six days of the week, but they just realize, oh, I got to go to church, right? They're not living by faith. They're not walking in the light of God's word. They're not in communion with God on a daily basis, praising him for his great creation, but also asking him for help and guidance. And they're just going through the motion. They're dead inside, 
because they don't have the life of God guiding them, leading them, helping them. So the answer to the question, why was Abel's, accept, Abel's offering accepted and Cain's rejected is Abel's faith. He had faith in God. Cain obviously did not. Cain turns and kills his brother. <laughs> he, he, he wasn't living a godly life at all. We have evidence of it. He was the first murderer in creation. So in this chapter and in this story of this one man, faith is the key. Without it, verse 6 says, it's impossible to please God. That's why Cain couldn't please God. He didn't really have faith in God. So let's talk about the next man. His name's Enoch. And I'll read for you verse 5. What it says here is, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, so in his life, the life that he lived, he was commended as one who pleased God. Well, again, we'll just pause there for a moment. How did he please God? Faith. He had a relationship with his creator by faith. Because verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. So the words right after he was commended as one who pleased God, without faith it's impossible to please God. So Enoch had faith. Enoch's one of the, the two people in, in scripture who didn't experience physical death. The other is the prophet, the prophet Elijah, who was seen leaving the earth in a fiery chariot, right? We have two stories in all of scripture that, that talk about two men who walked in such a way with God that God decided to, to let them skip the, the hard part, the dying part. And uh, that's it. We've only got those two men. Somehow Enoch lived by faith. We don't have any details about what that looks like necessarily in his life. But we know it was faith was the key. And that faith that he expressed in living out his life every day pleased God. Pleased God in such a way that he walked off with God, I guess. It says God took him away. So here's the thing. It goes right into this deep, deep truth of verse 6. And verse 6 is the key to this passage, right? It is without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. These three guys, Abel, Enoch, and Noah, at least for this morning are these kind of men. These kind of believers who sought God, who earnestly seek him, that verse ends with. They believe that he exists and then they shape their lives in such a way, they, they put their effort and their energy into such a direction that they're earnestly seeking God on a regular basis. Are they doing it perfectly? No, right? They're not doing it perfectly but they're doing it consistently. It's something that, that drives them. It's something that they get up. Or, you know, when they fall, if, if Josh had fallen over that obstacle, they get back up and they keep going. They don't stop believing in God. They don't stop believing that God has a reward out there for those who believe in him. And it is faith that makes a difference. So now on to our last verse, which is verse 7 this morning. By faith, Noah, when warned about things 
not yet seen. This is key because if you go back up to our description, it's, it, you know, it's, it's this unseen part of relationship with God. Noah, in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah is probably the most familiar and the, the story that excites us the most because you got the two by two animals and the ark and the big flood and all that, all that crazy stuff going on, right? Noah was a man of faith. Here's the thing. It hadn't rained on the earth yet. This is early in creation. We say, well, how could the earth, be? the earth would be a huge desert, you know? No, no, no. If you go back to the creation account, the way that God separated water is he put some water below in the earth and some water above, above the earth. They call it like a vapor barrier. That there was like a, a special vapor barrier, maybe like uh, what's the, the ozone? You know that ozone that's up there they say is falling apart or whatever. There was some kind of thing that God did with the water in creation. In fact, many people... Again, believers who believe in the creation account, they'll say that that vapor barrier is what allowed people to live so many years because the sun wasn't turning them into raisins, you know? The sun wasn't beating down on them. Like, there, was a, there was like a special protection through that vapor barrier. So there had been no rain. Now, it's interesting because I just, when we were on vacation, we visited a place in Rhode Island, which was right on the water. There was beautiful gardens there. And the landlady that we were renting from, she said, um, I said, oh, you got beautiful gardens. She said, I never water them. I'm like, what? She goes, the, the, the mist from the ocean waters them. And they were amazing looking. They look way better than my garden here in Holden, right? Because if you have a mist, if you have enough humidity, the plants know what to do. They know how to live. They know how to drink, right? So the world was like that. Some type of vapor barrier, some type of mist, some type of dew or something that was keeping it lush, keeping it growing. And Noah lived in that world. So what was unseen to him was rain. Now we see plenty of rain. In fact, this summer we see more than we ever wanted, right? He'd never seen rain. Rain didn't exist up to this point in creation. So Noah believed God when God said he was going to send a flood and he built the ark that God instructed him to build exactly how God instructed him to build it. And it says that by doing that, he pleased God, he showed faith. He didn't look at the world around him, the circumstances around him. He didn't listen to his neighbors as they made fun of him. He did what God wanted him to do. Speaking of the neighbors, that part of that verse which is difficult for us is the judgment or the condemning that it says. By his faith, he condemned the world. Now, I don't picture him pointing his finger and condemning people in that phrase, right? By him living in relationship with God, and some of you have experienced this as well, other people feel condemned because they know in their heart of hearts they're not living the way that God created them to live. You ever been in that situation? You haven't done a thing. You're just 
living your life with God, you're getting up in the morning, you're having your quiet time, you're praying, you're going to church, you're, you're, you're giving to, to missions, you're doing all these things, just minding your own business, and someone who's not doing those things says, why are you judging me? Why are you always condemning me? And you haven't said a word. Your actions have condemned them, have shown them that they are not walking in the purposes of God. They're living a selfish life. They're living a, a self-centered life. You know, so, so this contrast is the message that Noah gave to the people. And God had grace. It took Noah years and years and years and years to build that ark. Through that time, people had the opportunity to get on the boat. They had the opportunity to repent. If they felt this separation between themselves and God and they saw Noah's closeness with God, they could have sought after God. Those who seek him, find him when they seek him with their whole heart. But nobody else did, just his own, his own immediate family. The people in Noah's day chose not to get on the boat. If they had come to God by faith, I know God would have made a bigger boat. That's the kind of God that we serve, a God of compassion. The judgment in this, in this picture that we see also points to the final judgment. Scripture talks about a final judgment that's coming. And that those who reject his word, who do not come to him through Jesus Christ, who do not receive salvation, won't get on the boat either in that final judgment. Now it's not going to be another flood. It's going to be some other catastrophic event but this world itself too will receive judgment so putting our faith in Christ is like getting on the boat in Noah's day those of you who have already put your faith in Christ and you're living as believers in Jesus you're on the boat isn't that good news those who have rejected Jesus and say no there's got to be a better way I'm going to do it my way they're yet to get on the boat because what does it take to be saved? Accepting what Christ has done and applying that, to, that forgiveness to your life by faith. Again, we weren't there on Good Friday. We weren't there to see Jesus die. We have to take it by faith that this testimony which is left to us is true. And that by believing that Christ's sacrifice covers you and washes you of your sin, you walk into a new life in God as a born-again believer. Because what does it take to be saved? What does it take to be saved? We need to listen to God's word, read it, apply it, believe it, right? And then get on the boat. That's what we need to do. Elvin, Elvin, stick the next slide up there before I get completely lost. There we go. Um, what we need to understand is that God has a place for people in this walk with God. This place that it sounds funny to our, to our modern ears. But it says that Noah's faith is described as a holy fear or a reverent fear or a godly fear in that verse. Now fear for us is always the terror or the trembling. Um, but but. But this isn't the kind of fear that God wants. This is a respect for God's word. Like there's no other word but God's word. 
There's no other word as high as God's word or kept as sacred as God's word. And that's what these men did and that's what we're encouraged to do as well. The attitude has always pleased God. In fact, in Isaiah 66 too, it says, this is the one who I esteem or I commend. He who is humble and contrite. Contrite is another word for, you know, when you've done something wrong, you are willing to confess it and say you're sorry. And one who trembles at my word. Trembling is not an afraid to look into God's face or to look into God's word. It's a respect for God's word. Because total faith and belief lives a life that says, if God said it, I believe it. That's it. I can't debate with God. In fact, all the holy people who in Scripture have tried to do that have never ended well. Even Job, who was mentioned this morning at the beginning of our worship. When Job had, Job had finally gotten to a place with God where, where he was... He, he wasn't sinning, but he was definitely struggling with the circumstances of his life. And God said to him, you don't know what you're talking about. You, you weren't there when I put the world together. When I placed everything in place, you weren't there. We have to accept God's word by faith and believe it. And it begins to change us. We can't change God's word to make ourselves or other people comfortable. We have to get comfortable with God's word. We have to let God's word form the way we think, form the way we feel, form the way that we act. We let it, you know, change us instead of what the world is trying to do, which is change God's word. Well, that didn't mean that, or that's old, we can't believe that anymore, and, and just tear it apart. We have to hold firmly to God's word. Because here's the danger, from the very beginning, and we've been in Genesis all morning, even though we're in Hebrews, Satan said to Eve, did God really say? And then he went on with that passage. You can read it in, in Genesis chapter 3. Satan brings doubt. When you are struggling when you are going through trials and tribulations the word of God is your best defense that's why in the sword of the spirit in the in the armor of God it is the sword of the spirit right it is your best defense because the did God really say sometimes that sounds like your own voice your own your own thoughts saying that to you is God really loving is God really gonna help is God really there right so did God really say is the way that the enemy starts to corrode our faith in God. So I just, before we run out of time this morning, I just want to get here to the end. I, I just want you to, to understand that, that we have all struggled with doubt. We have all and will uh, trip up at times. What we need to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to strengthen us, to get us back up, to get us back going again. And we need each other to do that. We can't do it alone. There's not, there's not little kayaks in the flood. There's a big ark and everybody's got to be on the same ark, right? We are very individualistic as human beings. We want to do it all alone. But we're called into the family of God. We're called into the church of God. We're called to encourage each other and help each other to grow. 
And as we do that, we will be rescued. We'll be, we'll be in that continual process of being rescued and renewed in Christ. So my question as we end here is, how is your faith? How is your faith doing? As I started to, to prepare for this, this month of preaching, um, this is a question I'm asking myself too. Where am I at in my faith? Is my faith growing? Is it stagnant? Is it struggling? It's best to be honest with God. I came to a place a couple weeks ago just saying, like, God, I, I need more faith. I need you to increase my faith. I need you to strengthen it or whatever, you, whatever the verb is that goes around it, but I need more faith. I have some, like that man in the New Testament. I have a little faith, but I definitely need more. And I think that's probably true for most of us. Some of you, maybe not. Maybe you're our heroes here today. But for most of us, we need more faith. But I just want to pray for us together as we enter into this month or so of looking at faith. I would love for us to come out stronger and better and purer in our faith than we have ever been before. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We ask that you help us to trust it completely. We know that there are, are, are times when we're not sure what it says or that we doubt that what it says is really what's true. So first of all, forgive us, but also strengthen us. Help us to grow by faith. Help us to become the people of God that you have called us to be for such a time as this. Lord, we don't know how much longer time will be here on earth, but you do. And you have called us to follow you every step of the way. So help us as we put our faith in you to believe that you truly are the, the way maker, as this song says, that you're the miracle worker, that you're the one who has come to to guide us and help us to make it to the end and to receive that reward that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much for this day. In Christ we pray. Amen.